We had all hoped that we'd be done with the pandemic by now, but it's pretty clear that we're not. Or maybe it's more appropriate to say that the pandemic isn't done with us. Either way, with the Delta variant causing another spike in COVID-19 cases and the number of people getting vaccinated seemingly stagnating, the debate now seems to be what can governments do to mitigate the fourth wave? Well, the key, most experts agree, is vaccination. But how do you get people who are vaccine hesitant or outright refusing the vaccine to change their minds and roll up their sleeves? Well, some argue that's where vaccine passports come in. It's like saying, if you don't want to get the shot, fine. But maybe then you can't go into a movie theater or you can't sit inside a restaurant or you can't go to the gym. It may sound like coercion, but to many, it's about protection. Quebec says it's bringing in vaccine passports, and they've become an issue in the Nova Scotia election. But what about here in Ontario? So far, the province is saying they're not necessary. On this episode of the 519 Podcast, we hear from an infectious disease specialist about how vaccine passports might be the key to ending the pandemic. Here's your host, Craig Needles. We all hope, hope, is the key word, that we're getting close to the end of the COVID-19 pandemic. And we probably are, but as you may have heard, we're into a fourth wave. Some would say we're into a fourth wave that is being driven by the unvaccinated. So right now we're at, depending on which jurisdiction you're in in Ontario, 70 to 80%. Somewhere in that vicinity of people have been vaccinated. So how do we get to 90-something percent? How do we get to that next level? We've seen in other jurisdictions be it Quebec, be it France, be it Italy, where if they initiate a vaccine passport, then all of a sudden, a bunch of people who had not yet decided to get the shot, go and do it. They say, okay, now I'm going to do this because there's something in it for me. So is this something that is going to happen in Ontario? Might it happen once we get kids back in school and we potentially see some cases increase? We see the numbers go up. I wanted to ask Dr. Zane Chagla about that. Dr. Zane Chagla is with St. Joseph's Hospital in Hamilton. He's an infectious diseases expert there. He also is an associate professor at McMaster University and joins us here on the 519 podcast to talk about this. Uh, Dr. Chagla, thank you so much for giving us some of your valuable time today. I cannot understate how much we appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I want to talk about vaccine passports for a little while. I know that's kind of a, a loose term. It depends on which jurisdiction you're at as far as whether they're being called that. But in Quebec, they're doing what is effectively vaccine passports. They announced it last week. Uh, is this the right move? Uh, we've already seen some uptake in vaccination there. Uh, are other provinces you would think going to get on board on, with this uh, sooner rather than later? Yeah, I mean, I think so. There, there is an overwhelming need to make sure that those places that could not open throughout the high incidence points of our pandemic can stay open. And we need to use every tool possible. Well, you know, at a restaurant, there's no way you can go to a restaurant without masking. You can work on the ventilation of a restaurant, which is important. But at the end of the day, you need to have a strategy to make sure there's the least amount of virus in these restaurants as possible, in the gyms, in the bars. And unfortunately, that really is you know, vaccination. It's the only tool we have to lower people's chance of being infected and having a sustainable amount of virus in the institution. So, you know, I think from the frame of as a tool to keep restaurants, bars and gyms open in the pandemic, absolutely. You know, it's, it's something that needs to be considered as part of this. And I think, you know, many jurisdictions, not only in Ontario, in Quebec, in France, in the United States are really doing this. 
the secondary part of getting more people in line to get vaccinated because of these passports is, is certainly a good secondary effect. I think obviously it gets people, particularly that young 18 to 40 year old demographic in line. What I would counter though, is that's probably not the optimal or the, the, the full strategy to get more people vaccinated. It you know really does require a whole lot more than that. It'll be a nice side effect of this, but yeah, I, I don't foresee this kind of uh, fixing our our lower rates of vaccines amongst particular groups just because they want to go to a bar, restaurant, or a gym, or a Jays game. Yeah, and those are the the things. And we talk about, you know, carrots for vaccination and, and, and sticks for vaccination. I wish it was just as simple as explaining to people, hey, this is going to really help us get out of this pandemic. It's going to help keep you safe. It's going to help pe- keep people around you safe. And for you know, 70 to 80% of the population, depending on where you are, that's what's worked. But we still need another, you know, 10 to 15% to get on board in order to push us over the line, right? We got to get to to 90-ish with the Delta variant. Yeah, absolutely. Look, every single person that gets vaccinated, fully vaccinated, really means that the likelihood of them being represented in our healthcare system with COVID-19 or dying of COVID-19 is, is really rapidly reduced to as low as, you know, as, as less than 1% of what we're seeing, right? So, you know, I think that even on that that herd immunity piece, you know, it, it, it isn't even in the context of not achieving herd immunity, even if COVID spreads amongst some of the vaccinated people out there, you know, again, it's a minimal disease that's like our other respiratory tract infections. It's not the same disease that takes people to ventilators for 60 days or, again, kills them. Uh, and so, you know, again, those strategies to go out there and get people vaccinated, those incentives, those carrots are probably going to be important. Yes, the passports will bring a few more people in line. But remember, you know, this has been a really messy vaccine rollout. People have had inequitable access. There's been mixed messaging about mixing vaccines, about the AstraZeneca vaccine, about, you know, cardiac risks and the Pfizer vaccine. There's still a lot of people out there saying, you know what, I want more time. I want more counseling. I want more data. Uh, And again, a vaccine mandate is not going to solve that entirely. And you really do have to break down those barriers, have real and honest discussions with people. Uh, and again, give them every opportunity to get vaccinated, you know, especially if they face any barriers, disabilities or gain language or cultural issues that that prevent them. Do you think we've done a good enough job with that so far? I know that there's been outreach programs and I know it would go from perhaps uh, from, from public health unit to public health unit as far as uh, the, the varying performance there. But have we in general done a good enough job with that? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have a vaccine uptake rate that's higher than many countries on this earth, right? We have one of the highest on this earth. And so, you know, definitely the buy-in from, from you know, even those mixed groups have, have been higher than, than other places in the world, especially even our benchmark in the United States where we see, you know, inequity still in the vaccination, despite them having way more vaccines than us for a longer amount of time. But it's not to say that it's over, right? Like, you know, there are still communities where people, you know, have firm and fixed beliefs. There are people that have distrust in the medical system for very legitimate reasons. And so, you know, I think the next phase of this, this last leg, I think many, many health units are grappling with really gets vaccines into people, gets counseling into people, makes it hyper local in grocery store parking lots, uh, in, in community centers and churches and mosques. Uh, and, you know, makes the link between counseling and opportunity and getting vaccinated as short as possible. And, and again, we're getting first people, first doses out every day. It's really just engaging with those groups and, and again, incentivizing those groups. 
Uh, what other incentives can we talk about? We mentioned vaccine passports. Are there other incentives that uh, perhaps we haven't explored yet, uh, either here or elsewhere, that uh, in your opinion might be um, might be worthwhile? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the vaccine lotteries were interesting, but I didn't think actually got a lot of people out. But giving minor incentives, even a, a, a gift card, is probably not in the end of the world, right? You know, I, I think, you know, in our, our shelter system, we used a little bit of monetary incentives just because people were, um, you know, on the fence. And, and again, that might be the last bit to get people out. And, you know, I don't foresee a problem with giving away, you know, a $10 gift card in a, in a parking lot of a grocery store to that grocery store and saying, hey, you know, you want to get vaccinated today? Great. Do it for yourself. But here's a little bit of a token to say thank you for doing this and, and helping our community moving forward. And I, 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 you'll get people coming out where that's just enough to just shift the balance between I'm waiting for a little bit longer to, okay, fine, I'm going to do this now because, you know, A, I, I believe in it, but B, yeah, that, that, that my engagement is a little bit higher to know that there's a little incentive at the end. And we all do this, right? You know, we fill out the survey for the $5 gift card at the end or, or you know, this is this is just a part of normal life. It's, it's just, yeah, I think, it, you know, adding that little incentive to that last resistant mile to get the use out of them is, is definitely warranted. And Knowing how cost effective these vaccines are for our healthcare system, you know, again, I don't think it's it's worth it to start using dollars and cents here because every hospitalization that's prevented is going to be a hell of a lot cheaper than, again, a $10 gift card at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, here's a Starbucks if you come do this, you know, like here's a $10 yeah. gift card at Starbucks. You can go get whatever ice drink you want and it's on us. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And do it in the parking lot of the Starbucks, right? right. Yeah, yeah. So it's, 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 it's as easy as possible to get your reward at the end of it. Yeah, no, that, uh, that makes sense to me. Uh, I want to ask you about school because we're not that far away from it. I look at the at, at the calendar here. We're, uh, you know, second full week of August. So September is not that far away. What do you think happens when we get to school? Are you concerned about spread amongst kids who are 12 or under 12, rather, because they are not able to be vaccinated just yet? Uh, my kids uh, in in that ballpark, my daughter starts school, I was just telling you before we started recording in, in September. So parents who are in situations like mine, uh, what should be their uh, their thought process right now? Yeah, I mean, the number one thing they can do now is get vaccinated themselves, make sure everyone in their household who's eligible to be vaccinated is vaccinated. Because we know, again, in, in the last year's experience, there were multiple introductions of COVID from households into schools and often was the barometer of what was happening in their communities. But, you know, I... I I don't think we can say there's not going to be any COVID transmission in schools. Uh, there, there, there will be, right? Uh, you know, this is a, a virus that's highly contagious. Um, even in, you know, our previous experience without Delta, you know, we were seeing transmission within schools. Not a ton, but enough to send people home and to send classrooms home to make things uncomfortable. So, you know, I think parents, especially in Ontario, can be pretty reasonably expecting that masking is going to be a part of schools, that hopefully ventilation strategies are going to be a part of schools, that using the outdoors are going to be a part of schools. Um, I think we do need to start talking about how we mitigate kids staying in the classroom. And especially with some of these exposures, can we use other tools like testing, like early outbreak management to make sure contacts can minimize the amount of time that they have to remain at home when being exposed to COVID-19? But, you know, I think there, there is a way foreseeably to do this. And, and again, we just have to be cognizant of the fact that 
we need the highest adult vaccinated population to help protect the child vaccinated population. Uh, but we also need to, you know, realize that things like masking and ventilation are probably going to be a part of schools for a significant amount of time. It's not necessarily going to be the most normal school year, but it's going to be hopefully the school year we can keep as many kids in class as long as possible. And again, as much as we say schools are the last things to close, they really do have to be the last things to close here. Uh, uh, because, you know, the adult community is going to derive protection from the vaccine. So there's no issue with kids rippling into the adult community and then making things worse. And I think from a population health standpoint, this is the largest mass gathering of people that are unvaccinated now, right? So if we really want good controls in our community, we really do have to mitigate spread in schools and again, be able to respond to outbreaks quickly to minimize how many people they hit. Uh, as a game, they're going to cause healthcare demand in people, especially in communities that have large pockets of unvaccinated individuals, uh, which is exactly what we don't want, obviously, going into the fall and winter. Yeah, that's the, the concern is just the large population of unvaccinated individuals. Hopefully, kids can get that vaccination sooner rather than later. But it uh, looks like we still got a little bit of a ways to go on that, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I would not be surprised by the fall or early winter. We are going to be talking about the plan for vaccinations. And I think the first group is probably going to be five to 11 year olds, which is great because that's really the childhood uh, school population. Um, but yeah, we probably have a few months before that's the reality. And, and maybe going into the next year, that's our tool. But this year, you know, until 2022, we really do have to focus on mitigation in schools as the major strategy to, to prevent transmission. Uh, cases right now are higher than they were last summer. Um, we're doing uh, perhaps a, a, a little more testing in some situations, but nonetheless, case numbers are higher than they were last summer, uh, despite the fact that a lot of people are vaccinated. So how big a concern is that? You know, I think the metrics for our success right now are, you know, cases, particularly in the unvaccinated, as that's going to be the ones that are going to drive healthcare transmission. And I would love to see that in a report every day, because that's, again, the people that, you know, 1% or 2% of them are going to be represented in a hospital bed. And that's mm -hmm. the one we have to prepare for as, a, as someone who works in a hospital. Uh, obviously, healthcare capacity is important. And again, you know, uh, the system needs to catch up. So any loss of hospital beds, especially a surge of them, is going to have um, some, some devastating effects on us catching up. It may not be enough to obviously shut everything down. But, you know, again, hospitals were not empty at all before COVID-19 and, and being able to live with this really means that healthcare capacity needs to be mitigated as much as possible. Um, but, you know, I think we, we learn from other places where, again, in the United Kingdom and Israel and Iceland, where, you know, the rise in cases amongst the vaccinated is pretty minimal in terms of real impact, right? You know, at one point in, in Iceland, there were a thousand people that were isolating from COVID-19 a week ago. 97% of them were mild uh, and uh, or asymptomatic. And the other 3% were a little bit more severe with 10 people in the hospital. You know, if that's our scenario, I can live with that. I think everyone can live with that in the, in the sense of, uh, of, of really what the healthcare demands are going to be with us moving forward. But that really is going to be tied into vaccines. And this is where that, that the metrics right now in terms of cases amongst unvaccinated and using those to actually convert them to vaccinated cases is going to be so much more important than simple case counts and reproductive rates, which aren't going to tell the full story of what's going to happen in the next few weeks. 
uh, yeah, and there's uh, there's a lot of story left to be told with this. We're not uh, we're not done with it. It's just it's just different than it was a year ago. Significantly different because some of the markers, as you just saying, uh, that we're watching are going to have to be different because of the uh, uh, mostly vaccinated population. So there are other things that we have to keep an eye on, as opposed to just case counts. Yeah, absolutely. And again, every case that's showing up in the unvaccinated should be triggering public health units to say. What did we do here? What, what, what are these groups? Rather than case and contact tracing, saying where this person got COVID-19 from, which is important, obviously, for making sure outbreaks are under control, it should also be part of that look to say, why wasn't this person vaccinated? And what barriers did this person have, right? And what can we learn from this, from the experience moving forward? We'll get through this exit wave, but really, again, our biggest tool in the chest that's different from 2020 and 2021 early in the year was that we have a viable solution that prevents a lot of transmission, not all of it, but most of it. And even in those worst case scenarios, the likelihood of someone being represented in the healthcare system is fairly minimal. And again, you know, we don't necessarily have to have a future that revolves around masks, physical distancing, and capacity limits and lockdowns. But it has to be a future where as many people are vaccinated as possible for us to achieve that. Yeah, and that's what I that's what I want, and that's what I that's what I hope to see. And uh, I, I guess brings us back to to, to vaccine passports. Before we uh, wrap up here, is this something that uh, you would think perhaps if there's a wave that comes with schools uh, being back in, is that going to sort of force the government's hand here? Do you think, or is there at least a possibility of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think we can be ignore what's happening. And again, you know, the restaurants, bars, gyms, you know, big events. In Toronto and, and Mississauga, they've been closed for so long. And th- these owners are suffering. They've done the right thing. They've gotten themselves vaccinated. They've gotten their staff vaccinated. They've put protocols together. They've tried to reopen well. You know, you can't let that facet of the economy just flounder uh, and turn it off because of inherent risks without necessarily using all the tools available. And again, you know, the vaccine passports really do fit that criteria. And, and again, you know, really do allow for those establishments to remain open, not mitigating transmission to zero, but again, using as best a tool as possible to keep them open and give them a shot equitably. No one came into this pandemic, you know, with a restaurant saying, well, you know, I, I don't have the ability to open or invest in my restaurant because it has a COVID transmission risk. You know, we we do have to be equitable to businesses here in, in the context of a vaccine strategy. And again, the passport is probably the way to bridge that gap, at least while things are a little bit hot through the winter uh, and then cool off, hopefully, as uh, as things progress. Dr. Shagel, before we go, uh the the change the, a potential change with the vaccine uh, with the the virus rather a, a mutation a, a a new variant that is that is resistant to the vaccine how worried should we be about that right now are we still a ways away from that or is that something that could hypothetically be around the corner yeah I mean I think the likelihood of this happening is pretty minimal remember these vaccines trigger immune responses in our own body that are very similar to what being naturally infected looks like and so for us to the virus to evolve to completely change how we are naturally infected with the virus you know it is a scenario we monitor for yes you might nibble away a couple more percentages of immunity with a a mutation and, and maybe the length of time after vaccination but to you know, turn off the body's processes, the complexity of the immune system with a set of mutations seems incredibly uh, uh, rare. And it would would counter that, you know, if, if a virus is able to change that much to completely evade everything, 
I'm not sure if that's going to be a virus that's able to spread particularly well, because again, you've changed the machinery to, you know, a completely byproduct. You've created this Terminator virus, uh, you know, that's very different than the original human strain, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I think, uh, again, we're probably not going to see that scenario. The vaccines are might be less effective over time, and we may need boosters. But I think, honestly, like the virus changing itself to a way that is completely different to the vaccines is likely not in the cards. And again, we have so many different vaccine products coming to the market, even stuff that wasn't in the first wave of vaccines that will likely help bridge that gap to, to make more vaccine strategies feasible and, and safe and, and again, offer more uh, to get more long lasting immunity. Well, we'll, uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, so an, an encouraging thought, uh, to say the least, to, to wrap it up with. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. It's uh, uh, a really enlightening conversation, and I hope a lot of people uh, get a lot of information from it. But the, the most important thing, the key thing is when you have the chance, if you haven't done it already, please get vaccinated. Thank you for listening to this episode of the 519 Podcast. It was produced by Scott Kitching, Haley Chang, Jessica Stokes, and Patrick Magermans, and hosted by Craig Needles. Remember, you can subscribe to the 519 Podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen at blackburnnews.com. The 519 Podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media. Blackburn Media.